بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم We are in Surah Al-Ahzab, Surah number 33. We are doing S45 and 46. 47 today. A'udhu Billahi Minash وبشر المؤمنين بأن لهم من الله فضلا كبيرا ولا تطع الكافرين والمنافقين ودع عذابهم وتوكل على الله وكفى بالله وكيلا Continuation of the discussion in the previous ayat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the Prophet as a witness, as a person who gives glad tidings, good news, a person who warns, and someone who calls people to Allah with Allah's leave and permission, and someone who is a shining, radiating light for others where he clarifies the difference between what is right and wrong. These are all attributes, descriptions of the Prophet and this is his profile. So if you want a profile of the Prophet in the Quran, these ayat are more than enough to give any reader his profile, ayahs 45, 46, and today's ayah 47. And if you want to understand Muhammad وسلم, read these ayat, think about them, internalize them, and then become them yourself. That whatever you do, you must appreciate that when someone does good, that good must be acknowledged. Acknowledged, not congratulated. You don't throw a party. Acknowledge the good deed. Alhamdulillah, this is good. May Allah accept and may Allah give you more and tawfiq and so on. If someone is doing something wrong, then you must acknowledge that it is wrong. You don't have to uh, destroy their lives and you don't have to kill them or to banish them. But you must appreciate that it is wrong. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now made this ummah in the mold and the mold of the Prophet This transferring of the Nabi's attributes the attributes of the leader into the follower. So the followers inherit the attributes of the leader. If the followers decide that they have a problem with the profile and the attributes of the leader, then they're not followers. 
and that is where our social commentary begins for today in the Ummah. Rasulullah came to be a witness all people regardless of their faith regardless of their color of their race, of their ethnic background shahidan a witness that if there's one human being whom you can follow it is this one the ummah must acknowledge and appreciate this first and foremost that when we say we are Muslim, we are, say we are following a human being who is a leader for all people. All people. Wherever they are in the world. And whenever they are in the world. All people, all times. Then we as Muslims must portray individually and collectively that when good work is done, that work must be acknowledged by us as individuals and us as the community and we must say alhamdulillah and may Allah accept and jazakallah all words to that effect Bashir we must become the Bashir transitioning from the Prophet into the Ummah of Muhammad so good deeds and actions were always appreciated by the Ummah and they were not frowned upon and people did not become jealous of those who were doing good work and they didn't try to stop those people who were doing good work and thirdly that if there is evil then the evil must be declared as evil especially if it's done openly if it's done privately then we have no business probing into the private affairs of people which is also wrong Prophet did not do that. But if people are sinning openly, that sin must be condemned openly. Just as good deeds must be appreciated openly and acknowledged openly. Then uh, this must also be taken to ask openly, which is what the Prophet did. Whenever there was an occasion to reform the Ummah, the Prophet would go to the Masjid the next few minutes or hour stand on the member and then address the ummah and say that certain people are doing this and that and this must be stopped or this must be curtailed he didn't mention anyone by name because that's not what we do as an ummah unless it's there right in front of you then you address the person in front of you so this is now the ummah taking on the colors of their leader of their nabi and then thirdly, fourthly, that we must call others and ourselves towards Allah. That it is Allah who is in control of our lives and He is the one who guides us and who is the one who sustains us and provides provisions for us and He is the one who is going to save us and deliver us from the fire and allow us to enter into Jannah. You call people not towards you, but towards Allah, who is your Lord and your Maker. Remove the nafs when you give da'wah, and then you'll see that people will come to you. If you insert your nafs when you're giving da'wah, people might come to you, but then they will not come to Allah. And then you'll be developing a cult. You don't want to do that. 
not in the name of Islam anyway. And then finally, وَسِرَاجًا munira That we must become like the Prophet ﷺ in being a beacon of light, not a beacon of darkness. So if we are mothers or fathers, we should be role models for our children. If we are spouses, we should be role models for spouses. And if we are brothers and sisters, we should be role models for siblings. And if we are parents, we should be role models for parents. Children, if we are children, we should be role models for parents, and so on. Da'ayan ilallah bi'idnihi wa sirajan munira must be applied by the ummah. Because this is how Allah has favored the ummah through the Prophet ﷺ. You mirror yourself in his image. You look at him, ﷺ, and you say, where am I lacking? What are the features of the Nabi that I don't have in me? What are those attributes that I need to inculcate and develop within me? And then you develop an affinity, then eventually your love for the Prophet ﷺ, where your allegiance to him is based on your passion and compassion for him, not on your logic. Right? Nowadays people want to be attached to Islam and the Prophet ﷺ based on their logic, which at the best of times is inverted. All our inverted logic today is an adept too much. It's antipathetic when it comes to understanding Islamic logic. Why this? Why this? Why this? And then everyone's rationalized and then I'm getting the the wrong end of the stick and it's a bad deal for me and so on. I don't want this, I don't like it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala introduced the Prophet to the ummah through hub, through love. Qulin kuntum tuhibbun Allah fattabi'uni yuhibbun Allah. Say Muhammad tell people, if you love Allah, follow me, Allah will love you. So what's the formula for Allah loving you? follow the Prophet. But you can't follow the Prophet if you don't love him. Can you? If you sit down and question him and his rulings, every time then a discussion comes where you feel you're getting the wrong end of the stick or the short end of the stick, then that's not love. That's called defiance. It's called rebellion. It's called rejection. Then you're not a guiding light. What light are you showing to yourself and to others when you say that you should question this? As I've mentioned several times before, that you will not agree with everything. Nor can you because of the time and space that you live in. But you must still continue to love. Because love is above time and space. Doesn't it happen in anyone's life that they do something because they love somebody even though it doesn't make sense? If someone says, I never do that, then you're deprived. As a human being, you're deprived, you're a loser. Because you must have done it for your parents. You must do it for your children. You must have done it for your spouse. You must have done it for your friend that you override logic because you are close to the person. This is what Siraja Munira. 
that the Sahaba over read every logic they had in their love for the Prophet even though sometimes it was not too easy for them. When we assume that the Sahaba did everything because they agreed with the Prophet instantaneously, I mean that is true 95% of the time, but 5% you will find many examples where they did not agree. The best examples were in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. Nobody agreed. In the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when the Prophet made a deal with the Quraysh, uh, 99% of the Sahaba, the camp, they said, this is wrong. Even Omar came out and said, what is this? The only one who agreed was Abu Bakr. You understand? So in this time and space where atheism, which is based on inverted logic, at best, if there is logic in the first place, creeps into the ummah, materialism creeps into the ummah, a sense of selfishness has crept into the ummah, and the ummah is saying, this in Islam doesn't make any sense, therefore I have the right to reject it. That is absurd. Why? Because in your life, you are going to do, hopefully, many things that don't make sense to you, but you're doing it because you love the person who wants you to do it. And I gave you example. After example, and in your life, I don't have to take an audit of you. I'm just taking an audit of me. What I'm talking Many things I've done myself just because, you know, the person in front of me for whom I'm doing it wants it. Logical, illogical. That's irrespective. That discussion doesn't occur when you love someone. That's what I'm saying. It doesn't have to be suicidal. But it must be something that's beneficial. Even though you may not agree with it, or sometimes especially if you don't agree with it. So with this, with, with, with this approach to the, the Prophet ﷺ, we see that Allah made the Prophet ﷺ a bright, enlightening light, a beacon of guidance for all people, and the proof is the Sahaba. The Sahaba are the proof that the Prophet ﷺ is this light. Why? Because they did everything for him even when they did not agree with him for the sake of Allah, for the sake of the Rasul, and they became guiding lights for their students, who then became guiding lights for their students until we come to this day and age. So the Ummah must take on the colors of the Nabi, that is called being part of the Ummah. And every Muslim must do this. Independent of and irrespective of how much knowledge they have. So, a Muslim's passion for the Prophet must be, first of all, internalized and then expressed in the way of the Sunnah, in the way that fiqh allows you to express love for the Prophet not outside of those parameters. So, this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now, he starts with the ayah, the Yusalli Alaikum, ayah number 43. He is the one who sends salutations and blessings upon you. So that he may bring you out from darknesses into nur. This ayah, meaning the ayah that gives the profile of the Prophet, is the proof for that ayah.
What is the proof that this Ummah receives salutations from Allah? The Prophet That we follow the Prophet That is the proof that Allah is sending blessings on us. Once you divorce this Ummah from the Prophet Allah's blessings stop. Allah's blessings stop when you say, I, I don't want to believe this, I don't like this, this is right and this is wrong. And why the Prophet ﷺ married Aisha at the age of nine, and why does he have more than four wives? That's one of the ayahs, next ayah is coming. This is the premise for the questions that might occur in your mind when we're discussing the subsequent ayat. He is the Prophet, period. Do I have a right to ask? No. Do I understand? No. Do I need to understand? No. Is what Allah wanted for him. If you don't go down this road, then you will go down the road of the Quraysh, of the Munafiqeen, of those hypocrites during the time of the Prophet and those who were from other faith groups who said, why him? So the, the most detrimental question today in the minds of Muslims is that, why should I follow a human being, especially Muhammad you're doing the same thing they did. And this ayah, the next ayah, is going to expose this reality in the Ummah. So the Quran is a revelation. It reveals the truth. It reveals the truth. The Quran speaks the truth. So give glad tidings to believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that if you believe in Allah and His Rasul, then you have glad tidings that you believe in the Nabi, independent of what it is you feel is good for him, what you feel is bad for him. We don't need you to tell us, Allah is saying, that we don't need the Muslims to tell us, the Divine, this is good for the Nabi and this is not good for the Nabi. We decide what's good for the Nabi, when we decide, you accept our decision. This Sahaba that they have from Allah a huge grace and bounty, a huge fadl. So this is glad tidings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that if you believe in the Nabi, you will have glad tidings. And you have tremendous fadl from Allah that will show in your lives, that will be expressed in your lives, that you will taste in your lives, and you will live in your lives with this fadl of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as long as you know where the fadl is and how the fadl comes down a huge fadl, huge rahmah and huge bounding gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for believing and this is not following you act upon uh, the Quran sunnah so you do your salat sunnah al hash that is not what this ayah is saying that is now going to be secondary to your belief. Your faith system and your belief system is primary that when you, especially nowadays, that when you want to believe in Muhammad you have glad tidings from Allah that he'll give you his fadl, his rahmah, his bounty, his grace, his mercy. So a Muslim of today is saying, show me the fadl. Show me the fuzzle. 
where you, if you don't have eyes, then maybe you have a point. You have eyes, you refuse to open them. And then when you open them, you refuse to see Allah's puddle on you. Now, a question of perception. It's a question of you understanding how Allah works with you and for you and with you and in you at all times. So, how is Allah's fadl now defined? God's being kind to me. Okay, show me the kindness. What is our standard of God's kindness? You have the Protestant model, right? Providence with God's grace go together. So the more you earn and the more you own and the better lifestyle you have, the more God's providence is upon you. That seems a very Protestant, anti-Catholic kind of model of life, which unfortunately we've inherited. Because we've been here so long, we've inherited everything. (laughs) We haven't inherited the attributes of the Prophet, but we've more than inherited everything from here. So if you have now a nice, mashallah, beautiful car, a house with a three-car garage, and you mow your lawn every weekend, and you have a picket fence outside of your house, and you know you have parties on Fridays and Saturdays, and that that you see is Allah's fadl, which no doubt at the very very basic level of Allah's fadl, will acknowledge it is Allah's fadl. At the very, very basic level, the, the last rung of the ladder, you can say, okay, Allah's fadl is on the ummah, but that's exclusive to you because you are a privileged Muslim that lives in the suburbs of Chicago. You, what, where is Allah's fadl on the south side where Muslims don't have any food to eat or they don't have a house or they're being shot randomly on the streets of Chicago? How, how do they understand this ayah, that if they believe Allah's fadl is with them. Right? So when you compare yourselves to others, then you make that fatal mistake of missing the boat. So you can't compare yourselves to your neighbor, or to the Joneses, or to somebody who lives somewhere else, God knows where in the USA, where you see that God's providence is on these people. I wish I had that. I wish I had that, I wish I had that, so I would be closer to God. No, you won't. God is everywhere you are, regardless of your situation. He's always with you. He's with you wherever you are. You must realize this fact, that no matter what state you're in, He is with you. No matter what condition you're in, He is with you. No matter which problem you're going through in life, He is with you. That feeling of being with God is Allah's fadl. That feeling that I still want to follow the Prophet as my role model is Allah's fadl. That is immeasurable. That is timeless. That is not going to be measured by what's on your tax return. By your bank account but how many luxurious items you have in your house. Because you can have all the luxurious items in the house, you'll still be a miserable so-and-so. You'll still be depressed. In fact, you'll be so depressed that you'll be taking more pills 
than anybody on the south side. In fact, all the people on the south side put together don't take enough pills that they can match your pills. Why is that? Because you have misappropriated Allah's fadl. Allah's grace does not always come or necessarily come in the form of material progress or success. It comes with something that's internal and that is sukoon. That is pride in the fact that you follow Muhammad that you believe in Allah, that it doesn't matter who I am, where I am, and in what condition I am, Allah's fadl is still with me because I'm able to maintain my identity as a believer. That's Allah's fadl. And it's kabir, not sagheer. Huge, great fadl, not small. Your well-being, financial well-being is Allah's fadl. And the very lowest level, as I said, this is now going higher. That when a Muslim and a Muslim community appreciates that because Allah has still kept us in Islam, and we still pray and fast and uh, give zakat and go for hajj, and we still have a masajid and madaris, and we still have the community, and we still believe in what is halal haram, and we have not distorted our understanding of the deen, that is the greatest fadl for the Muslim ummah. If you distort your deen because you want to fit in and gain more of the other material fadl and bounty, then that is no longer a fadl, that is now adab on you. That's punishment from God, that you're distorting your faith because you want to fit in. That's no longer a fadl. Then Allah doesn't send any salutations on you. The devil does his work and you're part of the devil's scheme to undermine Allah's fadl on you. So here, this ayah is huge and immense. Give glad tidings to believers irrespective of their condition in this world. In this ayah, is there any mention of any glory in this dunya? No. What does this ayah say? Al-mu'minin, those who believe in Allah and those who believe in the Prophet Muhammad Now, through their work and hard work and their endeavors and Allah's now extra fadl that accompanies them if they have a good life, this is Allah's ni'mah and we say, Alhamdulillah, Allah keep us in comfort. But if, God forbid, they see another Muslim, then they must not look down upon them and say that Allah's fadl is not with them. We don't have this formula that, that uh, providence equals material success. That formula is wrong. There's no equation there. Right? It is absurd. So here we, we see that the, the, the fadl uh, that Allah is speaking of is that you become like Muhammad. You mirror him. You copy him. You mimic him. You approach Allah the way he did. And you worship Allah the way he did. And you think about Allah the way he did. Meaning when he was a rich man through Khadija before Nabuwa, where he had a great portion of the wealth of the people of Makkah, he was okay with God. And when he left this world where he didn't have even a cup, he was better with Allah. 
that's the standard. Right? I'm not saying give her everything you have, which might be a good thing for us. I'm saying that be careful how you appropriate Islamic success. How you appropriate Allah's fadl in the Quranic context. And this is about following the Nabi. It's not about where, how you understand life and where you see yourself in five years and ten years and fifteen years. This is uh, relative to you. Is not relative to the Nabi. So when we want to follow the Prophet Wasallam, it must be that we follow him irrespective of our own personal condition in our own personal lives. That is the standard. And when the Sahaba understood this, there were Sahaba who were poor, right? And there were Sahaba who were rich. And there were Sahaba who were in between. And they all loved the Prophet Wasallam, and they all accepted him and they all followed him. So the Prophet is a witness to all people, not just the middle class or the upper class or the working class or the blue collar or the white collar or those who are educated, those who are uneducated. The Prophet is a witness to all people so that everybody has equal access to Allah's Fadl. If you start appropriating Islamic success with those who have, then you are depriving everybody else in the world who don't have from being what? Part of the Ummah of Muhammad This is a very selfish approach to understanding Islam. Nothing is more heathen and hedonistic than this approach to Islam. That you want is every Muslim should have this standard and this standard and so on. It is an ideal and we should work towards making things available to everybody and we should do our part in charity and relief work and everything else. There's no doubt in that. But from the get-go, if you say that we will not be successful until we have this, that is wrong. You have everything that you need in order to be successful in this world, and that is a peace of mind. That is your honor, that is your dignity, that is your ability to worship Allah freely. This is Allah's fuddle on you, and this is the way the ummah should go. This is what this ayah is referring to, that you give glad tidings to believers, that they indeed have a huge fadl from Allah at this point when we are speaking. Every Muslim must look into their own lives and see where is Allah's fadl and they'll see that the first fadl is that they live, they exist. The second fadl is their health. The third fadl is their sanity. The fourth fadl is their iman. And the fifth fadl is whatever Allah has given you on top of all that. Who's going to pay for that? Is there a price to your life? Is there a price to your sanity? Is there a price to your iman and your faith? Al-Aman God forbid, that anything happens to any of us. But those unfortunately amongst us who are unfortunate to not have people in their own families who are not Muslim. We know the pain. We don't feel the same pain, we're not there, but we know of the pain. Now, equate that with a billion dollars, a trillion dollars. You can't buy enough medicine to treat that pain. Right? So Muslims must appreciate that being part of this ummah, following Muhammad wasallam, is Allah's greatest fuddle upon you irrespective of who you are and what you are 
and having your children still remain the same way, that's a greater fallen. And having the ability to talk to your parents and your siblings and your grandchildren the same way, like Jannah on earth. You can't buy this. And as I said, God forbid, I'm not saying Allah gives everybody guidance. Allah keeps us in His guidance all the time until we die and also in the other world. That is very painful when you hear about these cases where unfortunately someone's loved ones have left Islam. But they have degrees. They have money. They have wealth. They have everything. What don't they have? They don't have Allah's fadl. So here Allah is saying, Bashirul Mu'mineen, give glad tidings. That Bashara and Bushra, and that you should be happy in this state, irrespective of everything else around you, acquiesce and believe that Allah is with you. When you know Allah is with you, everything will be resolved. If you start denying Allah's existence with you, then nothing will ever be resolved, no matter how much money Allah gives you. That formula has never worked for anybody. Neither for Firan nor for Qarun. Whether you're government or whether you're a rich individual, it doesn't matter. Firan represents government, Qarun represents a rich individual. They were both, what, perished, they both died, they both punished. And this is why the next ayah then says, Now, you, O Muhammad, O Nabi, you must not obey the non Muslim or the non believer, nor must you obey the Munafiq. The hypocrite in your community. This is talking about the people in Medina. In Medina, if you know your seerah, there are many groups that were there living with and around the Muslims. The Ansar were there, the Muhajirun were there, these are Muslims. The Wanafiqun were there. Hypocrites who were ostensibly Muslim. Outwardly, inwardly, they were non Muslim and they were the worst of the worst. And you have people who denied the Prophet ﷺ openly, meaning the Kafiri. Those who were in Muslim period. So you have these groups in and around the Prophet ﷺ. And this is how he navigated his life every day. That he had to make sure that no one would do any harm to any Muslim. So this is why Allah then says, Overlook their harm. Forget about them harming you. As a leader, as a, someone who is now the beacon of light and the guide, if you are not showing concern for the safety and security of your own people, then that would mean that you don't care about anybody. Yeah. So the Quran is not saying this. The Quran is saying that don't become so preoccupied and overwhelmed with the idea of security, with the idea of self-preservation, with the idea that Allah is not there with you to help you and support you and to guide you and protect you. Take solace in the fact that you have believers around you. 
from the previous ayah. That your security is that the fact that Allah has created around you believers who believe in you. They will protect you and your deen. They'll protect you from harm and they will protect your deen from being distorted and changed and overwhelmed and destroyed. Whether other whom overlook and leave their harming you. Trust in Allah. That you must believe Allah is there with you. He is watching, he is supervising, he is doing, managing you and your affairs, he is managing you and the affairs of the believers. He will do what he needs to do, but you must trust Allah. So, in Medina, very important lesson of Sirah, that uh, unfortunately if you haven't read Sirah with that kind of uh, understanding or depth, you will miss this point. And it comes out in one of the ayat coming up in, in the rest of the in the latter part of the surah that there were always many ways that non-believers and the munafiqun were able to physically hurt Muslims physically so it wasn't that we, in Syria when we were talking to children mashallah we paint this rosy picture in Mecca they were persecuted in Medina and came and all of a sudden they were safe that might work for a seven-year-old. It doesn't work when you read in the Quran. Especially this ayah. Overlook their harm. What does it mean? It means that they were always thinking of ways to hurt the Prophet They were always thinking of ways to undermine the Muslims. They were always thinking of ways to persecute the Muslims. They were always thinking of ways to marginalize the Muslims either through their support from and with the Quraysh in Mecca or their own internal uh, sophisticated rings of leaders. The Jewish tribes were there, the Munafiqun were there, the other non-believers were there and everybody had the same enemy and that was Muhammad and that was the Muslim Ummah that we must do everything to undermine these people so that they don't gain momentum and they don't establish whatever it is they want to establish here and that is to worship Allah freely without being persecuted. So the persecution of Muslims did not stop when the Muslims came to Medina. In fact, if anything, intensified except the ability of the Muslims around the Prophet through their political pact and the treaties they had with each other prevented them from doing such things that would be seen as uh, tribal genocide or tribal suicide because they still had to live in the, uh, the greater community of the tribes in the peninsula and this surah is about the tribes and the confederates and the alliances al-ahzab as you saw in the beginning of the surah where these people came to attack Medina so that they could override all the political treaties the Prophet had with the people of Medina so that now Medina would not become a fortress for Muslims where they can practice Islam freely without persecution. Right. So, the ability of those people outside of, outside of Medina to come and attack Medina was facilitated by these two groups in Medina. 
the kafirin in Medina and the munafiqin in Medina. This is the seerah. So they lived in apprehension. And the Prophet ﷺ for that reason said that anybody who does Isha and Fajr together in Jama'ah, you must testify that he is not a munafiq. That he is not a hypocrite. Why? Because he has no reason to harm anybody. And since he's coming for Isha and Fajr, we know he doesn't want to harm anybody. The munafiq will never come for Isha and he will never come for Fajr. So the reward is there, but it was in the political climate of Medina that the Prophet ﷺ said this, that we want to avoid any confrontation with any hypocrite and any non-believer so that Muslims are safe and they're preserved and their security is now taken care of. This is what this ayah is saying. Overlook their harm because they can no longer harm you after this incident, after the Ahzab, after Ghazbi Khandaq, and after you did this by marrying the divorced wife of your adopted son, nobody will ever be able to harm you, neither socially nor politically. This how Allah saved the Prophet and the believers from such harm. Harm will come on these two fronts, politically or socially, even culturally. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved the Prophet by these two events. One was the battle of the ditch itself where the Muslims won. And secondly, the incident uh, or the event of marrying Zainab who is the divorced wife of his adopted son. Now the Quraysh and the Munafiqun and the Kafirun, they owe you, he is now impenetrable. We can't reach this man. Neither politically, because militarily they were defeated. After that, they didn't launch any attack. Culturally and socially, say he's about God, and whatever God wants him to do, he's going to do. So it doesn't matter what we say. We can, uh, you know, throw as much mud as we think we have. It will never stick, because he believes in God. He believes in doing what Allah wants him to do. So he now became so, so protected, and uh, secured by following Allah and his wishes that everybody now says, okay, enough is enough. Leave and overlook their ability to harm you. And trust Allah. Allah has done this for you as a favor to you. Allah is more than enough as a wakil, someone who is a guardian, someone who is an advocate who can advocate for you, someone who can protect you and guard you at all times. This is Allah's planning and this is the way the Prophet drew closer to Allah and this is Allah's fadl and rahmah came upon the Prophet in Medina where he seemed, where the Prophet seemed to be cornered. And when you're cornered, you do things that you don't want to do. So there Allah is saying to the Nabi and through the Nabi to all Muslims that uh, we, even at a time when we are desperate, you must still trust Allah, Allah is still there with you if you believe in Him. If you believe in the society community around you, or whoever your friends are or not, then Allah will not be there because there will be a third person there, which is shirk. Allah doesn't like shirk. Yeah. Allah doesn't like the idea that you say that this man's going to help me, this woman's going to help me. No, trust Allah 
do what the Prophet said you should do in this situation. If you do that, Allah will be with you. And that's the formula for success for believers. The next few ayat talk about uh, marriage of the Prophet and so on. So this requires a lengthy discussion. And you will see that it goes on for quite a few uh, ayat. Three or four ayat. They're very long ayat. Inshallah, we'll start discussing those the next time we meet. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, give us from His fadl, keep under His fadl in this world and also in the world hereafter. Ameen ya Rabbul Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khir khilfi. Muhammad wa alihi wa sahabihi 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 wa alihi wa sah